0: Good morning. It's good to be together, isn't it? And aren't we blessed with some wonderful young Jesus followers who are so willing to serve him? It's lovely, isn't it? So, in a year when, as a church, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we've been spending some time looking at the message of Jesus, the things that Jesus talked about. And listening to what people talk about gives you a pretty good idea, doesn't it, about what's important to them. If you have a friend who talks about nothing but cars, you know that cars are important to them. And the same goes for friends who talk about sport or about their kids or their grandkids or their latest holiday – What we talk about says a lot about what's important to us. Well, that's true for Jesus too. And that's why we need to ask the question, what does Jesus talk about? Because as people who are trying to live our lives following Jesus and becoming more like him every day, what he talks about, what he sees as important matters to us, doesn't it? Well this morning we're going to have a look at what Jesus said about money, about wealth, about being rich. Now, before you all switch off or walk out, <laughs> let me clarify a couple of things. Firstly, if you're thinking, phew, I'm not right, I'm not rich, I'm in the clear, have a look and a listen. ..to these statistics. If you have access to electricity, a phone, clean water... ..you know where your next meal is coming from... ..and you have a roof over your head... ..you are among the wealthiest people on this planet. If you earn more than $50,000 a year... ..you're in the top 1% of earners on the planet... If you spend more than $10 a day on your total living expenses, you spend more than 80% of the world's population does. The world's median household income is $9,733. And that is not per week. That is per year. If you earn more than that in a year, you are richer than half the world. It's staggering, isn't it? In Australia, the single-age pension is about $24,000 per year. So even if you are on the pension, which puts you in the lower bracket of earners in our country, you earn more than twice the world's median income. More than a third of the people on earth live on less than $2 a day. That's less than many of us spend on coffee. I could go on, but I think you get the picture. Even if you don't realise it, you are rich. We are all rich. So when Jesus is speaking to rich people, it's us he's speaking to. And the second thing we need to get straight, churches and pastors have a bit of a reputation for always having their hand out asking for money. And the result is that some services you go to have a mini sermon before the offering. And other churches are so cautious about offending people that they never mention money in their services, But Jesus talked about money a lot. He really did talk about it a lot. Why is that, do you think? Now, I have some money here in my pocket. (laughs) Awkward moment when she can't find the money in her pocket. Here it is. I have money. Money in and of itself is either metal... Little round coin or paper, or oh, it's not really paper, is it? Some sort of plastic. It's round or it's a funny shape, it's silver or gold, it's paper or plastic, different colours, there's some pictures on it. And we call them coins and notes, don't we? And these days, money is even often virtual. Like for us to find a note and a coin last night when I suddenly said to Murray, I need some money for the sermon. We had to go out and actually get money out. (laughs) Because money is often virtual. It comes into our bank from our employer or from Centrelink or whoever gives us money and it goes out to Coles or... ...origin energy or wherever it goes to, we don't actually even see the money or the paper. The only reason that we're interested in these bits of paper or metal or figures on our computer screen... ...is that we have established that they function as currency. That is, they represent value. And you can exchange them for things that you value can't you? So we value nutrition, we like to eat and so we give away money for food and we value education so we give away our money exchange for books, we value entertainment so we give away our money for Netflix or movies or restaurant meals or concerts and we value the spread of the gospel and the ministries of the church. And so we give our money to the church or to support missionaries serving overseas. Jesus said this just a few verses after the parable that we're looking at this morning. In Luke 12, 34, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is significant because It shows you what you value. That's why Jesus talked a lot about it. Because the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. Where your money goes, your heart goes. And what I want to do this morning is what this passage has done for me these past few weeks as I've prepared this message. Firstly, To point you to the supreme value of Jesus Christ. To help you see, maybe again, maybe for the first time, that knowing Jesus and serving him is more valuable than anything. And secondly, to reveal or to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the inner workings of your heart. To help you to see the link between where your money flows And what you really treasure. So let's do that. Let's open God's word to Luke chapter 12. We're starting to read from verse 13. If you don't have your Bible with you or if you prefer it, um, you can read the text on the screen. But before we do that, let, let me pray. Lord Jesus, when we truly listen to what you have to say, it's challenging stuff. But we do want to hear it. Help us to listen with humble and contrite hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. So Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So at this point, Jesus is presented with a situation. There's two people and they're at odds over an inheritance. Two people in conflict over money. Maybe you've experienced this. If you haven't, I'm guessing that someone in your family or someone that you know has. People fighting over money. So how did Jesus respond to this? Let's read on. Verse 14. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved in the details of your squabble. I'm not going to be your lawyer. But I do have something relevant to say. I'm going to warn you about a hazard that you do not seem to be aware of. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus is confronted with a man who is losing his grip on some of what he thought was rightfully his, his inheritance. And the money that he thought he would receive is slipping through his fingers And Jesus sees some evidence that the man is not aware of the hazard, the danger that the inheritance places him in. Elsewhere in the scripture, Jesus speaks about the deceitfulness of riches. Have a look at this verse from the parable of the sower. It's Mark 4 verse 18. And others are sown among the thorns. You know the parable of the sower. The sower's sowing the seed and the parable explains why the seed gets strangled or dies and what doesn't grow. Others, that means the seeds, are sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. And choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says the deceitfulness of riches is like the thorns that choked those seeds. Wealth is deceitful, Jesus says. Money lies to us. The inheritance was lying to this man. It was saying, if you lose me, You lose an important part of your life. Think of all the life that you will lose if you don't get your share. Jesus says, watch out. Danger ahead. Be on your guard. Don't be deceived when money says, I am your life. Don't be deceived when an inheritance says, if you lose me, you lose life. It's a lie because, the second part of verse 15, your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your life does not consist in your things. We are so vulnerable, I am so vulnerable, to feeling that having lots of things is being really alive to equating having and being having and feeling if i just have that i'll be happy it's crazy isn't it that we might think that things give life things like that chair or this jacket or those cars out there in the car park that they might give life no it's a lie Things are not life. What is life? Jesus tells us in John 17 verse 3, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life is not having things. Life is knowing God. And Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. This inheritance, it's not your life. In fact, it could destroy your life. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. He told them, so this is not just for the man who presented the issue. This is for them, for all of the onlookers, all the people that were listening. This is for us. Jesus is saying, all of you who are facing or will face this issue, here's what I want you to hear. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. It's not a bad thing to be a productive farmer. It's not a bad thing when your land produces plentifully. It's not a bad thing when your business prospers. It's not a bad thing when you get a promotion and get a pay rise. It's not a bad thing when your investments increase in value. That's not what this parable is about. The man isn't called a fool because he's a good farmer. God knows this world needs good farmers and profitable businesses. So why is he called a fool? And he's not only a fool, he actually loses his life. Verse 20 says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Why does Jesus call him a fool? Well, verse 21 is the key, I think. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. By the way he used his God-given riches, the man gave no indication of being rich toward God. He kept building bigger barns, and that may be okay. I don't think bigger barns is even the issue. But he didn't only build bigger barns. Have a look at what he said in verse 19. He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax, eat, drink, have fun. The use that he makes of his stored-up treasure says that above all else, he values relaxing, eating, drinking and having fun. That's his treasure. That's his life. And the riches in the barns, they make it possible for him to get what he really values. Relaxing, eating, drinking and having fun. What's wrong with relaxing, eating, drinking and having fun? Nothing. Nothing. If there's no God and no resurrection. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. He said, If the dead are not raised... Then let us eat, drink and make merry, for tomorrow we die. If there's no God and there's no resurrection, then why would we live any other way? Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, relaxing and having fun. Jesus did all of those things and he knows that we need to do them too. But this man stored up his riches for that purpose. That was what he valued. And then Jesus gives this concluding verse, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever. So he's generalising now. This applies to whoever, not just to the man, not just to the gathered listeners, to whoever. So this applies to us. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. What does that mean? This is the only place that that phrase appears in the Bible. It's an odd phrase, isn't it? Rich toward God. It's actually a very literal translation of the original. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? I think you can get a pretty good idea by looking at the contrast of the verse. So being rich toward God is the opposite of storing up things for yourself. It's the opposite of treating yourself as if you were made for things and not made for God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of believing that life exists in the abundance of things rather than in knowing God. So being rich toward God is the heart moving toward God as your riches. Being rich toward God is counting God as your greatest treasure. Being rich toward God is counting God as more valuable than anything. More valuable than anything. Being rich toward God means using your earthly riches to show how much you value God. God. This is what the prosperous farmer failed to do and the result was that he was a fool and he lost his life. This is why money is dangerous. It lures us away from treasuring God. The issue isn't that the man's fields prospered. The issue is That God ceased to be his supreme treasure. If God had been his treasure, what would he have done differently? Instead of saying, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years, I'm going to take life easy, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, he might have said something like this God, this is all yours. You have made my fields prosper. Show me how to use my riches in a way that shows that you are my treasure and the riches are not. I already had enough. I don't need any more. I don't need better food, better drink. Lord, you told me that it's more blessed to give than to receive, so I'm going to give. Show me who needs to be blessed. Help me to be a channel of your blessing. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? I want to finish this morning with just four things that have helped Murray and I as we've wrestled with what it looks like to live a life that is rich toward God. This is a daily struggle as many of you, I'm sure, would know. But these are just some of the things that have helped us. Number one, make your relationship with Jesus the first priority in your life so that you can say with Paul in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. That means soaking yourself in God's word daily, praying for and about everything, committing to meeting regularly with other believers The resources out there are endless. Find what helps you to grow to be more like Jesus and do it, read it, live it. That will help you to make sure that your treasure is knowing God above all else. The second one, ask God to help you to be free from the love of money and things. My grandparents, my mum's parents, were great models of this. Pop was, would you believe, a chicken sexer. So, in the early part, don't raise your eyebrows. Do you know what that is? It's a person whose job it is to decide whether a baby chicken is a boy or a girl. So that the girl chickens can go to be raised up to lay eggs and the boy chickens can go the way of all flesh. (laughs) Um, And in the early part of last century, that was a very sought-after skill, to be able to sort the day-old chickens into boys and girls. And the result was that my grandfather earned a great deal of money and he could have lived a very extravagant life. But if you ever met my grandparents, you would have never have thought that they were wealthy. You know why? Nan and Pop worked out what they needed to live on for a year. And then every year, Pop would bank the money that he earned up to that amount. And the rest he would give away. So he started every year with a clean slate. They lived in a very simple home. They lived a comfortable but simple life. And every year they gave away what was excess to their needs. That blows my mind, I'm sure. It does yours. I have met people who were given a block of land as young newlyweds by my grandparents. Others were helped building their first home. Nan and pop supported missionaries. They paid pastors' salaries. They gave away money, food and furniture. Guy Mere Baptist Church today sits on land that my grandparents gave to the church. They could have built barns, but they chose to give. Ask God how you can be a channel of his blessing and see how you will be blessed because it truly is a greater blessing to give than to receive. Number three, trust God to meet your needs. Around the end of 1999, Murray and I had four young children. Murray was studying at Moreland College And he was serving as a ministry intern at a church in the Blue Mountains. Now the church had lots of opportunity for ministry and they were paying Murray's college fees. But they weren't able to support us in any way other than that. I was working full time as a nurse at Lithgow Hospital. Murray was also doing lots of things to earn money however he could. And we were living on a property that was about half an hour away from the church. We started to become aware that in order to be more available for ministry, we needed to move to live closer to the church. However, when we did the sums with what I was earning, we were going to be about $11,000 short of meeting our costs. So against the advice of some, one person who said, you can take this faith thing too far, you know, we decided that that was what God was calling us to do. We decided to move and to trust God to meet our needs. And before long, we started to have money given to us by anonymous envelopes in the letterbox. People would put some money in my handbag, put an envelope in Murray's pocket. And we thought, wow, we need to keep a record of this. So we started to keep a record of the gifts. And that year we were given around $13,000. There's only one place in the Bible where God tells his children to test him. And it's in Malachi 3.10. It says, test me in this. Says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Trust God to meet your needs. You'll find you can't outgive God, and you'll find that you don't have any need for barn building. And finally, make regular giving part of a lifestyle of worship. The Bible is very clear that we give because it's good for us. It gives us joy. God doesn't need our money. We need to give because it helps us to ensure that our treasure is in the right place. And if you ask how much... My answer would be, start with the Old Testament standard and build on that as God prospers you. It's hard for me to imagine that the children of God after the glories of the cross would give less than the saints of the Old Testament. May God grant us all the joy, the sheer unadulterated joy of finding our life not in possessions, but in the abundance of God and in showing the world what it means to have God as our treasure. Let's pray. Lord, as rich people, your word today can't help but make us feel a little uncomfortable. We have so much... It's so easy for us to forget that and to get caught up in the lie that the world tells us over and over again that our life is to be found in things. Help us to be people who find life in you. May we be truly able to say with Paul that we count all things as loss compared to the wonderful riches of knowing you. Lord, this church has so many wonderful givers. May it continue to be so and more so. May we be a people who love to give so that the world may see and know that you are our greatest treasure. Amen.